Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, where we talk about this time of life, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Each week, I'm joined by top professionals dropping their tips and advice. Remember, episodes drop every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. Thank you, because this helps others to find the show. You can check out our website, find out which episodes are coming up, and get the latest blog and advice by going to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com, and get ready to thrive, not just survive, through perimenopause and beyond. Welcome to this week's episode of Thriving Through Menopause with me, Clarissa. Before we delve into this discussion today, I want you to give a little trigger warning on this because we are going to talk about sexual trauma. There may be conversations that touch on rape and I want you to just take care of yourself in this conversation in case you have ever been subjected to this or some of those things upset you in any way. But with that, I hope you're going to enjoy this episode and going to learn a lot in it as well. Because trauma is part of our menopause journey. For many of us, things that have happened to us prior to going into perimenopause can really come right around and affect our menopause experience in ways that we're not maybe prepared for. And sometimes this is a time in our life when we have to address that trauma. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Anissa Hudak. She's a yoga therapist and founder of Trauma Healing Yoga Therapy. Welcome to the show, Anissa. Thanks for having me on. Listen, you work with women who have been sexually traumatized and help them to heal the PSD and the other trauma-related issues that we have as a result of our experiences. And I know that you are yourself a two-times rape survivor. I am. And we may well touch on some of your experiences that brought you to this place. But maybe it's a start. I mean, we hear sexual trauma, but give a sense of how big this is in, amongst women, in the, let alone the U.S., but the rest of the world too. Statistic-wise, they're saying it's one out of every four women. However, because of underreporting, we actually think it's one out of every two women. So that means one out of every other woman has somehow been touched by this. That's huge. That's absolutely huge. Um, and you're right, there's a lot of underreporting. We don't report what we think sometimes, I don't know, we've been socialized to think is part of me having to do whatever I'm supposed to do to be a woman but it is still traumatizing, isn't it? And when we say sexual trauma, what exactly can fall into that bucket? Well, there's in, incest, molestation. Um, there is sexual assault, uh, rape. Um, and there's different types of rape. You know, um, most people think that rape is, you know, a guy that you don't know pulling you down a, a back alley, um, and or breaking into your apartment late at night and, and having his way with you. And that's one version. Um, more than likely, you know the person who is raping you. Um, there is things called co coercion rape, um, where, you know, um, I'm going to hurt someone if you don't do this. 
um, there's also, you know, I was, um, I was on a date with a guy, very first date with a guy. And as we were driving home, he said, well, where are we going to pull off? And I said, pull off for what? And he's like, well, I bought you dinner, so you, you have to blow me. Uh, yeah. I was like, here's $20 and take me mm -hmm. to my house. You know, I mean, um, that's coercion rape. You know, um, do you want a promotion? You need to sleep with me. That's coercion rape. Um, so being coerced, they may not tie you down, but by words or by actions, um, you're being coerced into doing something um and so you know sexual assault looks like a lot of different things doesn't it just i mean and i think some of us will have heard that in our workplaces where we've been coerced into situations with a, a boss or a client and then told to keep quiet about it uh, by people like hr who were supposed to have your back and that's very common. Um, somebody who takes off their condom, Anissa, non-consensually is a form of rape. And I'm sad to say that that has happened to me. I was deeply shocked because I thought I was an empowered woman. And, I ha and I, I'm much smaller than the person involved. So that is also traumatizing and a form of rape in some ways because he, he violated what had been agreed between us. Yeah. Absolutely. So this is so common. So I, I think, listeners, if you're hearing this, these are some of the things that can be part of our everyday life. And, of course, your partner can rape you. Yeah, yes, ma'am. They can. Just because you are in a committed relationship, whether it's married or not, if you say no, the answer is no. Yeah. And you have the right. It's not a wifely duty. <laughs> to have to sleep with your spouse whenever they deem necessary. No, definitely not. And yet those are the things that often then go unreported or we don't, or we yes. don't even speak about them again. We kind of bury them, don't we? Absolutely. And, you know, for a lot of people, well, there's no bruises. Yeah, of course. But... There might not be physical bruises. However, the emotional toll that is taken. Oh, on yeah. I mean, and obviously we have the whole thing with um, domestic violence. You know, how many of those women are truly coerced on a daily basis because they don't want to die. They don't want to be beaten to death. Um, and I mean, that that's a whole other can of worms, if yeah. you will. So. Um, yeah, sexual assault looks like a lot of different yes. things. And that, as you say, one in two of us can probably relate to um, along the journey. And certainly when we get into midlife, I doubt there are actually many of us who would say something like this hasn't happened along the way to us. You know, it's really interesting. What I'm finding is... Um, and and I'm now in menopause, um, and I, I turned fifty this week. So um, I I work with women who are you know of this age bracket, um, and what I'm finding, 
and I, and I feel it myself is that, you know, a lot of the time the sexual assault incident happened earlier on early 20s maybe maybe before you got married maybe over the course of your marriage however you got busy with life you wound up having children you're very busy with that career husband or spouse or what have you and now you're at a point where it's it's you know you're transitioning so it's a huge change in life hormones are all over the place (laughs) so emotionally you know things are are different for you um you're starting to really um embrace that whole empty nest syndrome you know your your children are gone um maybe you've reached maybe the glass ceiling or or how however far you're going to go in your career things are kind of starting to wind down a little bit you have a little bit more time there's more bandwidth and all of a sudden this thing pops up and you're like, oh crap, I can't run away from this anymore. I can't bury it anymore. I really need to deal with this. And it's really about coming to terms. And so you're taking menopause, which is already unhinging you and you're adding this other layer to it. This other thing that you have to really unbox and process and deal with. Um, and when you're doing that with um, the emotions and the hormones being what they are, it's yeah, a lot. It is. Because we already feel emotional about everything at this time of life. Everything, everything. is, as you said, thrown up into the air in many ways. And if we buried these things quite deeply inside ourselves, those issues are still in the tissues, aren't they? And he said, they're not released. They're, they're held as spittle ventricles. Yes, ma'am. Um, we do hold the trauma literally in our cells. And they do need to be released. And when you've held them on for that long, um, you know, it's, it's going to take a little bit to get it all out. And then you're doing it in a very vulnerable state because you are having this withdrawal of hormones and changes to your body and things like that. And so it's a lot. It is. I mean, it is a lot. It's like we're confronting it. But if we don't confront it, then it's going to come up in some other way, isn't it? Your body will scream. At some point, your body will let you know that you've got to get this dealt with um, whether it's an autoimmune disease or cancer yes your trauma can can create diabetes and cancer in your body you know it's not something that you you think about or a correlation between but yeah it can happen yeah. and so um at some point, you got to deal with this and better do it when your body's not screaming. Well, yes. Yeah, generally better. Be better able to process that. You know, you're already dealing with it when you're hormonal and your hormones are withdrawing and you're, you're going through, you know, perimenopause and, and menopause. Um, better to do it now than when you have cancer or heart disease or diabetes yeah Yeah. and i think because we're not talking about it we 
and this is why we're talking about it, is so that we can address it in these years so that it doesn't linger anymore in our bodies. And I mean, what I've heard from other therapists is that if we have this unaddressed trauma in perimenopause, then it will make our symptoms much worse. And is that your experience personally or in the clients that you see? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you have other chemicals that are racing through your body because of the trauma. The trauma actually creates other types of hormones and chemicals within your body. So you have an overabundance of that, plus the withdrawal of the other hormones. Um, it just really wrecks havoc with the body in general. Um, and then you add into it the emotional state that that creates. And it can make menopause pretty hard going. I had a very difficult perimenopausal state and I finally um, went into surgical menopause in oh. August. And um, I am now on estrogen and I am loving <laughs> life. I have to tell you, it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, but I finally had to, I lost six organs in one day. It was pretty amazing. And when I woke up, I actually felt relief immediately. Wow. From just that release of the diesel, because that was where it was holding on, wasn't it? There. Maybe yeah. some of it. Um, I had, had been having problems with my reproductive organs for far too long. And uh, boy, I, I truly felt relief. Something that I found out, though, from my surgery, um, my surgeon asked if he could take my appendix. And I said, okay. <laughs> he said, well, it's down there. It's in that area. You know, quite frankly, we really don't know what it does. And you don't necessarily need it. But what we have found is that it actually plays a part in the pain women are feeling in their pelvic area. And so because of that, I try to take as many appendixes as I can. I said, hey, go for well, it. I said, if there's anything else down there that you want to take that I don't need, go for it. <laughs> you know, mount it on your wall. I don't care what you do with it. You know, he said, no, just, just the six organs. You know, I said, all right, that's fine. And truly, when I woke up in recovery, the f I, I saw him and he was like, oh, good, you're already awake. Good. How are you feeling? I said, I can already feel a difference. I feel like a brick has been taken out of my abdomen. And within hours, I was up and walking the halls and feeling amazing. That's incredible. That's the first time I've ever heard that about an appendix. That, that was like, whoa. I mean, I lost my, my appendix at, um, at 12. So I had extreme pelvic pain. So maybe he's right. Very difficult periods. Uh, you know, I had a very nosy mother for the listeners. She was one of those women who, in, who you, you know, sort of mother, you want to go, why is she asking me about my periods? There's no girl that wants that. But she was very like, she was recording and what they were like. And, and she went to Dr. Shed. She doesn't have periods that look like they should look, was all she said, you know. This is the days before they didn't put teenage girls on the contraceptive pill, of course. And um, 
he then I had an appendicitis and they took it out and they also found that I had some ovarian cysts. So I'm probably very grateful for that operation because it saved a lot of pain and problems. But I, but I'm fascinated that that the appendix could be contributing. But then it's very close to our pelvic area. So who knows? Who knows? I just know that I have been loving life since this finally occurred. The worst part about it was the hormones. Um, I opted, leaving the hospital, I opted not to take any hormones because I felt great. And two and a half weeks later, the bottom fell out. And um, I now know where Karen's come from. <laughs> I joke because, wow, it was tough. Um, however, I did get on a patch. Um, and then I met with another doctor who really deals with um, menopausal hormones. And um, I wound up increasing my patch and um, I am just loving life. And she said, which I was really surprised about this. She said that um, she has women who are in their 80s who are still taking yeah. estrogen. As long as it's not contributing to any um, medical conditions, she said, you can wear one till the day well, you die. And I'm like, well, just sign <laughs> me up. Um, it's well, been wonderful. Right. So that's been, yeah. um, and so, yeah, I really f feel for women because I, now I know what I felt like before and now what I feel like now. And I'm like, yeah, the estrogen is yeah. helpful. But this is coming on top of obviously the yoga therapy work that you practice and do. 25 years ago, Vega ProPress disrupted the plumbing industry. Today, we're all about making big construction projects safer and keeping them on schedule. That's why we make Vega fittings in McPherson, Kansas, and ship our press systems out of massive distribution centers in Reno, Nevada, and McDonough, Georgia, to ensure that across the U.S., high-rises will always have hot water and steel mills stay up and running 24-7. Vega Pro Press, Mega Press, Pure Flow. The press fittings you need when you need them. Tell me, Anissa, how you got into yoga therapy, and then we'll talk about how that works for sexually traumatized women. I had absolutely no intentions of ever teaching yoga, ever. I took a teacher training class because I wanted to do yoga on my own. I didn't want to be on anybody else's schedule. I didn't want to be a slave to anybody else's class uh, timing. So I went ahead and I took a teacher training class and I was about like halfway through it. And I realized, gosh, I really love this. This is, for me, it was a gift. Yeah. And I didn't want to teach it. I wanted to share this gift. So I started taking more and more teacher training classes because I, I just really enjoyed it. I, and um, the people that I was surrounded with, I just loved. I loved the energy and... Um, I, the classes that I, the, the school that I was going through, they were offering classes for PTSD, for um, military. My husband at the time was active duty. We live in a huge um, community of, of active duty and retired. And I was like, you know, I should take this class and bring it back to my um, yeah. community, be of service to them. And I was about, again, halfway through the first day. 
And I realized that the first person I needed to work on was like right here. Um, that PTSD had really crawled into the nooks and crannies of my life and, and was holding me back. And by doing what I was doing on the mats, I felt freer. And I felt this, this huge release and relief. And so I started doing it more and more, taking more and more classes. And before I knew it, here I am. I'm a yoga therapist and I specialize in PTSD and TBIs, traumatic brain injuries. Amazing, amazing story for you. But, um, but yoga therapy is different from the yoga you do down the yoga studios. It is. Tell me a little bit about that. So people may know, I mean, every, I think there's not many of us now who don't know yoga and very few of us who probably never tried at least one class. But yoga therapy is a field in itself, is it? It is. If you were to look at yoga as a big pie, split it down the middle. On one half, we have um, yoga that you find in your neighborhood yoga studio, uh, fitness-based, um, very fun, you know, Bikram and Ashtanga and, and um, co-ed naked hot yoga and aerial yoga and, you know, all kinds of fun stuff that are great physical fitness kind of things. Can you have um, emotional releases? Absolutely. Um, all yoga is healing. However, on the other side of the pie, we have yoga therapy. And within yoga therapy, we have little niches. Um, you know, people do um, yoga therapy for cardiac rehab and cancer and addiction. Um, we work with a particular group of people that are trying to reach a goal of some sort. You know, there's yoga therapy for Parkinson's and um, MS and I just happen to work with PTSD and yes. TBIs. Yes, and that's wonderful because then you're, it's more of a program, isn't it, than rock up for class and get into triangle both, if I've understood it correct. It is. Um, you know, we do certain things. Um, we cue in, in different ways. Um, you know, the lights always remain on. I always remain on my mat. Yeah. I don't walk around. I don't talk. I don't touch my clients unless it's absolutely necessary. And I ask them beforehand and before I even leave the mat. And um, there are no straps. We do poses in a particular way to not only maximize your time on the mat, but also to really get into the the deep, deep muscles that hold on to this trauma and what we're essentially trying to do is get these muscles to release. And, um, you know, the bottom line is we're trying to reset your central nervous yeah. system and we can do this effectively using the yoga therapy. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, that's just so different because no, I can imagine if you are particularly a sexually traumatized person, the last thing you want is someone uh, touch, touchy, and, this, and I actually dislike it when somebody comes and pushes you or moves you around without permission. I find that quite intrusive, and they may move me in a place I don't necessarily want to be moved into. But I can imagine if you have been sexually traumatized that that creates extra tension, not release. Am I correct there? It can very well, yeah. yeah. 
and the science behind yoga therapy, because there is a fair bit of science behind it. There is. And that's what really amazed me was that when I was taking these classes, I was like, this is all science. Like, this isn't smoke and mirrors. There's no voodoo here. I don't need a wand. Like, this is actual science. It's biology. There's a lot of biology, a lot of psychology. And um, this is not, you know, a, a very easygoing kind of physical-based yoga. There's a lot that goes into it uh, before we even get on the mat. And so um, you really want to find yourself a professional um, who is accredited to do this with um, because... It, there is a lot that goes into yes. this. So this is, this is like, this is, so you said it even starts off the mat. How does that, what does that look like for someone who's never been in yoga therapy, never gone to yoga therapy, should I say? You know, I don't think anybody would notice anything. Um, it's more about me. Right. It's about, you know, kind of assessing how everyone is feeling in the room, what is needed. Um, looking at just the way you're carrying your body, um, kind of just really assessing what is your need for that, that moment and being able to, to meet you where you're at. Yeah. Yes. So if I understand, you're probably doing a lot of observing of your people, how they sound, how they move how they breathe, how, how they, they look. look, how, what's their facial expression? Um, how are they answering me? Um, what is their vocal tone? Um, are they moving slowly? Are they moving quickly? You know, is there anxiety coming forward or is it, uh, their depression that's forward facing yeah. right now? Um, are they just tired? Um, you know, all kinds of things that come into play because, you know, the last thing I want to do is have a really um, vigorous yes. uh, session with someone who has anxiety. That's the last yes. thing they need. They actually need something that's a little slower to help them calm <laughs> down from that anxiety. Um, someone who is depressed, we need the yes. opposite. You know, um, someone who's tired, well, that might require something different than a, a typical, and there's yep. no such thing as typical, but a typical yeah. session. Um, it might include having some yoga nidra done. Yoga nidra is amazing. It is, um, if you haven't experienced it, it's like um, meditation, almost like a guided meditation. Um, however, 20 minutes of yoga nidra rest is equivalent to two hours of yep. sleep. And for those of us who deal with trauma, Sometimes sleep is an issue. Definitely. Definitely because sometimes you're finding you're unable to get to sleep because there's these things are playing in our heads or we wake up in the middle of the night and these things are playing in our heads. The stories, the, the, the memories are very hard. Yeah, I, I trained with Richard Miller. I did the I Rest program with Richard and... Uh, I got to meet him in person, so I felt very privileged living in Sydney because he doesn't travel so much now. 
but he was phen- right. it was a phenomenal experience. And of course, the whole of that is centered around PTSD. Absolutely. Yes. And uh, he has a wonderful program and um, I absolutely adore Yoga Nidra. So, um, and I use it quite frequently, fr- quite frequently because it is so applicable for PTSD. Absolutely. It, and I think it was like, it wasn't designed for PTSD. It was like, well, maybe it was, we don't know because it's history is that long and people have always had PTSD yes. without having a name for it thousands of years ago. So I'm sure it has its origins in some way intuitively for that. But I also think when you talk about this sort of individualization, I realize that if women just go off to a yoga class and they have this trauma that they're carrying with them, they, it could trigger a disassociation or a, or a re-trigger the, the experience, could it? If it's not, if it, things are not managed well, so you just went off and did, you know. It could be. And, you know, without having um, an instructor or a yoga therapist who is trained in this, um, you could, depending on how your your outburst is, your your release, your emotional release, you could be kicked out of class as a disturbance, and that's the last thing that you need, you know. So um, you really want to be in a place yeah. where um, people understand, yes. and there are there's safety protocols. I have safety protocols in my classes. Um, you need to have those in place. It's important to keep everyone uh, protected and safe. And again, these are things that go on in yoga therapy and not in your typical yoga studio class. Yeah, and and it makes total sense because that's what goes on in therapy. And in as you and I are both mindfulness practitioners, so yes, we... If we are properly trained, we operate with protocols there that are about that are meant to be trauma informed and paced, and we have risk assessments for people. We don't just say "Hello, come and sit and meditate with us" or push out things. We we contain that space so it's incredibly safe. And at any time, a person I'm sure in your class too can opt out. You know, if it, if it gets oh. tough, you can sit, you can lie down, just go back to focusing your feet or whatever it is, feels okay. You know, a lot of people find that um, shavasana, which is final relaxation, um, you know, generally you lie flat on a mat and it's almost kind of very spread eagle. It's very um, kind of naked, yeah. it's kind of vulnerable. Yeah. In my class... You can lie on your back, you can lie on your side, you can lie on your stomach, you can have pillows and blankets and bolsters and whatever it is you need to feel comfortable. I have eye masks available yeah. if you want to block out the light, however the light remains on. Yes. Um, or you don't, and you don't have to use one. There's so many options on how to make yourself feel comfortable because that's necessary Shavasana is where you do the most important work of your entire session. And so best be as comfortable as possible in order to do that work. Uh, Generally during Shavasana, it's very quiet. Not in my class. We never leave you alone with your thoughts because that's where the scary stuff lies. (laughs) And 
I'm not a talk therapist. That is not my scope of mm -hmm. practice. So I'm constantly talking. It's kind of like the Anissa stand-up hour. Um, very integrative. We, we're, we're always talking together. Um, however, during Shavasana, I usually read loud. I read uh, yoga poems. I have a book of uh, essential oils, the emotional aspects of essential yeah. oils. I read. Um, and you have just a very few moments that you're alone with your thoughts. Just, just enough. And then I bring you back out of it. And um, generally what happens is, you know, everyone feels quite re refreshed. And inevitably, someone will say, uh, can I try that essential oil? Do you have that? So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's wonderful. Um, but yes, there are different things that occur in my class that don't occur in a yeah, typical absolutely. class. Absolutely. And I think that that has resonance for me personally. I mean, you know, in mindfulness classes, people want to lie on the floor or they want to be propped up or they want to be sit on a chair. Do whatever is right for you and in a yoga nidra class i mean we pretty much talk people with only short breaks i mean it's a lead practice it's not a it's not a non-lead practice it's because my phone goes <laughs> it's not a lead practice it's very much a it's not it's not silent at all i mean and that would be wrong if it was a silent thing because it's meant to be anchoring all the way back to where we want to be. But say someone has been sexually traumatized, this is impacting their menopause experience, impacting their life, and they're beginning to realize they need to address it in some way. How do they begin on that journey? How do they begin? Um, well... I would, you know, suggest finding someone to talk to. Yeah. Um, I would suggest going to see a doctor about balancing hormones. I would suggest potentially even medication for the PTSD. Yeah. Potentially, if, if it's deemed necessary. Um, you know, talk therapy is great. Um, however, your PTSD started in your body first before it manifested as a mental health issue. And so as much as you need to work it out of your mind, you also need to work it out of your body. And so getting in with someone who does this, um, yoga therapy is important. That being said, um, yoga therapy for PTSD, for trauma, sexual trauma, is not the end all, although I, I think it is. I think it's great. Um, there are other ways for you to work yeah. out your trauma. If you are into martial arts, it could potentially be done that way. Running. Yes. But for a lot of people, you know, that works well for them. So there are other ways of doing it. Again, I'm biased. I have therapy. <laughs> You know, I, but I won't say that one is better than the other. It's really based on the person, you know. Um, our healing journey is our own individual healing journey. And just because this works for me 
doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for everybody. And that's okay. You need to find what works best for you. And so it's, it's a bit of a journey. It's, you know, you have to try different things to really figure out what works best for you. And so you have to be willing to try. I think that's true. And, and there isn't a quick fix to this. This is truly something we have to work through. Absolutely. There is no silver bullet. There is no magic pill. There is no voodoo spell um, to make this go away. It, um, it sucks. And the only way to get through it is to get through it. However, life on the other side of it is so much better. Yeah. You just need to work through it. And there is no easy way to do it. No. We have to, we have to meet it where it is and work with it. And, and I think that's, that's the first brave step that we are admitting that this is there and that it's, and we have buried, I think, as we said earlier, and we have buried this and it's inside ourselves because of shame, because of guilt, or because we didn't even think that it was a thing because we've been socialized that some of this stuff is kind of a suck it up or it's part of being a woman or whatever the heck it is. And that's just not okay. It's not right. And we get called, I think menopause, as we said, is a huge calling for us to shake down what isn't working for us and reframe our lives. It is a huge transition. It's a huge reset. It really is. It's a huge reset for your yourself. Um, and I felt that way afterwards. I was like, you know, that whole chapter of my life is over. You know, I'm, I'm never going to have children again. And that's okay because I, I don't want any more. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, I was yeah. okay with that. But it, it is your, your body, your hormones, your emotions. Um, everything is, is, is such in flux and it's just a reset time yes. for your body. You know, you're beginning a new yeah. chapter. And don't you want to start that chapter with a blank Would sheet? You just, yeah. I love that so much. Just a fresh sheet and say, now I'm moving into the next. And I have, I'm not going to carry all this baggage with me into the next day. Yeah. That is beautiful. Anissa, how can people get in touch with you, learn more about the work that you do? listen to your podcast um com. everything is there uh i'm on all the major socials i'm kind of like a bad penny i just keep showing up uh trauma healing yoga um i am not groovy i'm not on tiktok or snapchat or anything like that um i'm just on all the old people socials uh facebook um ig and pinterest um, YouTube, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm not groovy. I don't, I don't. We're not groovy that. here either. We, we just, I've decided that I don't understand TikTok and I'm not dancing there or anything else. <laughs> I don't, and I'm not very comfortable on some of the things on there make me very uncomfortable. So we're on the same channels and it's there. It's all yeah. good. Um, but no, really everything's at the website, uh, traumahealingyoga.com. And, um, I do everything now online. And so I am able to work with women all around the world, which is amazing. 
um, because I live in a little town here in Kansas and uh, the livestock outnumber the people and the cows just weren't into the yoga. Oh, they, they usually aren't. <laughs> the bison like oh. it, but the cows yeah. do not. Go figure. So, um, no, I'm able to work with women all over the country, all over the world, and it's been amazing. So um, that's, that's where you can find beautiful. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to put all of that into the show notes so that those of you who have listened and it's, it's sparked your interest, it's maybe triggered you to think differently, then, then here is a space for you to go and begin a healing journey if that's right for you. Anissa, thank you so much for coming on and sharing insights into sexual trauma, menopause, and the power of yoga therapy. Well, I appreciate being on and being able to chat with you and your listeners. And thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Thriving Through Menopause. If you like this podcast episode, please hop over to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com and rate and review it. And thank you if you do that, because it helps others to find the show. Want more news and views on perimenopause and menopause? then sign up to my weekly newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Thank you once again for listening and see you next week for another guest interview helping you to thrive through menopause.